our DT systems, the Rap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Rap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Gunner Kennels, baby. Hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate. It's freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me, I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel food crate. It's easy to pack, easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore. So keep it dry, good, all that stuff, easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate, slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. All right, our number one asked question is revolving around force fetch. Whether your dog drops the bumper or duck at the edge of the water, or you failed a few hunt tests because the dog monkeys with the birds or won't pick up a bird, let me help you help your dog. Bunch of different breeds, bunch of different personalities, start to finish teaching you how to do it. Links in the description. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. Really excited. And I'm going to be honest, I'm a little sad tonight. Uh, this is going to be a fun episode. We've got Kevin sitting over here. He doesn't have a mic, so we're going to have to do like the old switcheroo and give it to Kevin here and there. But Marie. MG Madaris uh, has worked with me here for about a year and a half, and this is her last week, and it's a, it's going to be sad. We had a ton of fun, a lot of good stuff to talk about and bust chops about and, and just have her on the show. So, And then secondly, we've got our North Carolina friend, Grayson Geyer from Lost Highway Gun Dogs, a repeat offender here on the podcast. Um, he had a wedding in New York and decided to bring a bunch of dogs and grouse hunt across the state. So he swung into Lone de Chateau to participate in woodcock and grouse hunting with us. So, um, welcome to the show, everybody. Let's do the old intro. So first up, you know what we got to do? The patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. That's the community where you can join happy hours. Have a beer ski with me. Here we go. You ready? Boom. Um, have a beer, talk dogs, talk duck hunting. And it's like a one-on-one thing. So we have a ton of fun there. Lots of unseen videos that don't hit YouTube. Um, you're going to get a discount code on our force fetch series that's about to hit so stay tuned for that too we're excited to announce that but patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters next up i'm gonna give this one to marie i'm so excited to hear your voice on this podcast she's giggling let's start with 
Dogtra. Oh, yo, Dogtra. <laughs> I love going. my Edge RT. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. I wouldn't train a dog without it. Uh, but seriously, very good collar. I literally wouldn't train a dog without it. It's been thrown off my trailer, thrown off my truck, and it has lasted through the test of time and is reliable and trains my dogs well. Beautiful. Great job with that one. I loved it. All right. Let's throw to Wolves again. The old Gunner Kennel, baby. Oh, Gunner Kennel, baby. Move, move your mic just a little closer. There you go. Yep. Cup it. There you go. Um, Gunner Kennel I wouldn't travel with my dogs with anything else. Quite literally. I, in the cab, I put three in my bed in my truck. Could never go any other way. They're safe. I feel good when my dogs are in them. I get comments when I'm going down the road. What kennel do you put your dog in? And that is 100% every time the kennel I'm going to put my dogs in. Hashtag man's best kennel. Good job. Nice job. Great intros, Marie. Hashtag Marie's best kennel. Kevin, come in hot. Nice. All right. Next up, Purina, baby. The food that fuels the truck alone duck from the duck blind to the holding blind or the grouse woods, some may say. Today was more of the woodcock woods, but uh, there were pellets shot at grouse. So they exist. They just were elusive to us. But the woodcock, um, and maybe we'll get into the show. You're uh, kind of talked about a little bit. You, he, all right, let me take a second here. I'm going to collect myself. Grayson asked if I read much about woodcock. No, I'm <laughs> not much of a reader, but if you all hadn't figured that out, I don't do a whole bunch of reading, uh, but he taught us a few things about the migration. So we'll get into that. That'd be really fun to delve into. Um, Purina. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, so anyways, man's best kennel, whether in the grouse woods or the duck blind or going to the line. Purina, baby. Uh, next up. Smoke them if you got them, Marie. You're back in the game. Go. <laughs> Smoke them if you got them, baby. <laughs> Traeger grills. <laughs> so I just recently learned you can bake things on a Traeger, actually, and I have to try that when I get home with my Traeger. But other than that, what's your favorite meat to prepare on the Traeger? I gotta say ribs, all day. I'm a rib girl. Ribby ribs. Mm -hmm. Yep, I, I dig it. I'm, I'm a wingding guy, rib guy, pork butt guy. Other than that, I've kind of failed a few times. But other, those things I, I knock out of the park, and I don't know how I do it. The, the trigger makes it easy. Nice job. You're killing it. You're in the game. Standing Stone Kennel, Standing Stone Supply. Listen, they, you, you've heard it over the last eight weeks. Our puppies were with Cat and Ethan. They did a phenomenal job. We have puppies. Um, that just went home that they took care of and and they're just great friends of ours they're good people and they also have a gun dog supply store online called standing stone supply so anything you need hit them up you won't be disappointed next up shoot or shoot bismuth <clears throat> it's that bismuth baby 
duck season is here. I've yet to go out and kill a duck. I've yet to even go hunting for waterfowl. So I feel like I'm slighting my friends at Kent and I'm going to change that. So maybe by the next podcast, I'll have used bismuth on waterfowl. Stay tuned. All right. Waypoint Outdoor Collective, they keep us in tune with you and you in tune with us. All right. So how we're going to try and keep this mildly organized, everyone. Well, we're a couple bush lights and Chico. What is that thing called? A Chico Topo Chico, Grayson. You want to explain to everybody what you're having? <laughs> we're going to lead off with it. Yeah, we're kicking off with your inability to bush light. Uh, you know, I've made this <laughs> trip up here. It's like a 14-hour drive. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I came to see my my good friend Bob. Uh, and uh, and I, apparently he thinks that old age and gluten intolerance <laughs> are a funny topic. <laughs> So it is, it <laughs> so, is. Yeah. So, you know, we age, we get older, we find things out about ourselves. We also dabbled in the bush light last night. And so you're just like, no, nah, I'm going to yes. go a little cleaner today yep. on the Topo Chico's today. Feeling yep. fresh. Good for you. Yeah. After a hot day in the Woodcock woods. Yeah. Surprisingly warm day. It's uh, October 24th and it felt 70. I'd imagine it was close to that 65, 70 degrees. And, and it, not it, what you probably envisioned coming up here. It definitely, it felt hotter than that, but it still wasn't any less fun. Yeah, not. I don't know. I, do you think that affected the birds? I think it. I think it affected the dog work. Yeah. Personally, I think. I think you know we dropped all my dogs today, and and you know to be honest, we haven't had any opportunities to be in the woods for the last eight or nine months um this is basically their first hunt yeah coming out of training season and whatnot yeah yeah 100 their first hunt coming out of the hunt uh, the, the training season but um you know no excuses we didn't have great dog work today uh and it's you know important to let folks know that when you're dealing with pointing dogs sometimes it, you got to do that in wild birds it takes um it takes contacts and it takes uh the, the birds getting bumped on occasion to learn uh, to learn what it means to handle those birds. And when you get a little bit hot and a little bit dry, the scenting conditions just are, are against you. So it was fun. It was great. I didn't mind it at all. The dogs learned a bunch. I mean, it was a, a good woodcock day for sure. Yeah. So I'm keeping it PG. My, we all smiled when he said woodcock. You all know what we're thinking. Keeping it PG for your kids in the car. Um, you know, in terms of, a young dog and a young dog could be three. They could be five. They could be nine months old. It, it's experience in the woods. It's experience in the dog blind. It's like legit shaking off the rust, right? Like I would say, uh, I'm been lucky this grouse season. Andy and I have pushed covers and had good contacts. And therefore I feel like the rust has been knocked off and she's doing well tomorrow. She could make me look like a dummy, but I bet you if I reflected and actually took notes or remembered well enough, 
I bet her first hunt was like bumping a bunch of birds and running willy nilly and getting lost in the woods and that stuff happens. And, and we kind of reflected on it because he does have a few young dogs that like had never even seen a grouse yet. I, I've got one, one dog that's worked some woodcock cover with me, never had a good woodcock hunt. You just, you know, when you're down South, you're, you're always playing the flight bird game mm-hmm. and you might have them the next County over and uh, you might have tons of them over there. And then, you know, in your covers, they're, they're bare. Um, right. So we had one out there today and she got, it was just good experience for her. She got oh, Reggie. Oh, Reg. Um, had a good day. Got, got on a bird, got a retrieve. All right. Let's talk. First off, I want to ask you how you came up with the name Reggie, because what a good girl name. Um, we have a tradition in my house of letting my wife name all of my bird, bird dogs. Uh, because if I name them, it's a death sentence. Yeah, I hear you. You know, so that's our little superstition. Um, but I don't, I'm not exactly sure where she came up with. I think maybe a reference to the movie Bull Durham. Okay. Um, one of the characters was a Reggie in there, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's the name story. It's nothing cool. special. No, nah, it's cool though. It's a good name. It's different. It's original. Um, but basically you and Murray both pulled up, pulled up on the woodcock at the same time. Mm-hmm. shots rang out bird fell sort of <laughs> we we watched it fall we watched it fall into a tree about 12 feet high and stay stuck in the tree yeah <laughs> my first like... thought was to go to the base of the tree and start climbing and bob came over with a stick and popped it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not smart but i do know some things oh man yeah that, so then after <laughs> He got the woodcock out of the tree. He's like, Hey, this, you know, can we just take a second? I'm going to throw it forward, get a retrieve out of it, you know, get, get some good teaching moments. And, and we're all dog trainers. We're like, yeah, what a great moment. This is, this is good. This is fun. So he throws it for, her. she picks it up. She drops it. She picks it up. She drops it. Good teaching moment. We're having a moment. This is great. He throws it again and it gets stuck in a shrub, like, you know, three feet off the ground. And so now he's like, Oh, we're all laughing. He goes up to the shrub. She pulls it out of the shrub. The shrub whiplashes him in the face. So for anybody that knows me personally, that happens to be listening to this podcast, that will not be a surprise to them at all. No, it was like cluster after (laughs) cluster of just laughing our butt off in the woods. It was great. It was a great experience for a young dog. And, and, um, and you know, that happens. That's, that's bird hunting, man. You get whipped in the, I got hit in the eyeball so bad tonight people you should wear you should wear glasses in the ground yeah but you look like a wiener <laughs> i can't do it man my dad came out the other day god bless he's gonna listen to this so i saw him pull out the yellow shooting glasses and he didn't put them on and i didn't say anything but now he knows that i know that he knows that i know that you know and now all of you know that he owns yellow shooting glasses and uh so dad don't wear them please we'll make fun of you just like we're making fun of grace and drinking topo chicos i respect it mr owens (laughs) you would (laughs) uh and then highlight of the day for me was old mg madaris shot her first woodcock talk to us about that moment there friend it was a pretty special moment (laughs) i had watched these two guys get multiple woodcock already and uh Grayson's 
GSP or GSP you had had flushed a little good cock. I got it and she came and pointed dead and yeah. That was the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Freaking awesome. One shot too. Yeah. Which is for lately unheard of. So yeah. No, that was really good. I pooped my pants a little because we're walking <laughs> through this cover and it's we were we were all kind of hunting a little close to each other, which is fine. And like you shot one, Grayson, I pointed to him like you all can see me point to him, but Grayson shot one time. And I mean, I was not ready. I'm just like walking through the woods, like dipping under a tree, do, 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 do. boom. Oh, did you get him? No. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> and that was the same with your shot. Like, I'm, I'm like maybe starting to talk to him and then whammy. Like, whoa, did you get him? You're like, I got him. What'd you get? What guy? Yeah. <laughs> Super cool, fun hunt. Um, different for you, right? Grayson, different kind of cover than what you're used to. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's beautiful grouse cover. I mean, or or what I would consider grouse cover at home. It just happens to contain woodcock here. And, uh, you know, so it's not necessarily just, just cut over. It's got, you know, apple trees mixed in and there's this old, it's, it's really neat hunting up here in the Northeast. It's first for me, but it's dense. It's not hard to move in necessarily. The blowdowns I find really tough up here compared to the ones back home. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the the briars aren't that bad. They're there. They're not like they are at home. Um, it, it's inviting, and then you get into it and you realize it's not as inviting as it's it not inviting. Don't come here. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So it, it was it was a challenge for me and the dogs. Just kind of you know it. You know I'm used to working like linear covers where I can kind of, I can kind of stay out of the cover a little bit and let the dogs work it. Um, and here, you know, it really makes sense to just get in there and push the cover with the dog on the ground. And you're, you're not going to see your dog outside of probably 10, 15 yards at, at oftentimes. And so you gotta, mm-hmm. if you're handling it and you're not running a bell, which I did today. And I think on Bob's advice, the grouse, if we did happen to contact them might be spooky that, well, so that's a good point. Cause you, you, do use a bell and i don't um i had heard like maybe it's an old wives tale we kind of talked about it a little bit last night and all the time you run a bell on a dog and i didn't even think twice about it and you didn't today is it because what i thought yeah and it was because of what you thought but it was also good advice because a few birds we heard you know obviously flushed wild and spooky and so mm-hmm. not, that's it's not an easy target and um you know and and i don't i there's grouse to hunt in the southeast um and i have hunted them exhaustively you know in in the past and i focus mostly on woodcock now because i don't happen to live near those covers and and so with uh with woodcock it's just it's not it's not nearly they're they're just not going to be as spooky so so real quick for, for people listening who might be confused or, or not sure how to do this, like, do I run a bell? Do I not run a bell? Like what? So Bob does not and doesn't like to, you typically do, and then you didn't, but you also mentioned that you can't necessarily see more than like 15 yards ish. So how do you uh, like safely keep track of your dog? How do you keep them in range? How do you, right? Like, how do you do it right? So that you can also know when they're on point and all this different stuff. 
it it helps running. I so I'm, I ran a dog trip pathfinder today. Good good piece of kit, um, and so that helps keep up with the dog. But I don't want to be checking it all the time. I thought the way we pushed the cover today, having three people on the ground, the dog was almost kind of a bonus to have along. Um, you know, and and we had good points, but we weren't solely focusing on the dog. We were pushing cover hard, and we had we had birds getting up as if we were pushing cover. If you were, or if you were hunting without a dog. And honestly, I think that was the way, if you were out to hunt birds today and you had numbers, that's the way to move out here. I think if I were alone out here, I'd probably focus on the edges and, and focus on my dog a little more. Mm-hmm. And I might even run a bell if I'm alone, because I, I care. I'm not here to kill the birds as much as f- try to get the dogs into them. That being said, if they're, if they're flush and wild, it doesn't make sense. And, and to be honest, there are times at home, if I know I'm going to have pardon me, you know, good opportunities on wood ducks, which, which happens almost all the time when you're hunting woodcock in North Carolina. Um, I'll run my dog slick. If I know I'm really going to, to a potential dense wood, wood duck hole, cause they're not going to tolerate a bell either. Right. But if you're really focusing on, on woodcock, I think a bell is just fine. They're, they're going to hold tight. Yeah. Woodcock yeah. holds super tight for a dog. Yeah. Um, and a girl Marie way to get after it. Um, Woodcock holds super tight for a dog. They're great for a young dog. But one of the discussions we had at the dinner table was you can have a really well-trained pointing dog on homing pigeons, on pen-raised quail, pen-raised chucker, and they, they kind of know that difference. And And then you bring them out to the woods, and I think – woodcock can also maybe like a pen raised bird or a bird in a, a trap give them a false sense of security of getting close to them yeah so so a, a good woodcock dog does not make a grouse dog but no well all right i'll stop you there i they just have to learn what the grouse scent is and that they've got when they smell that certain bird, they got to respect it way different than any other bird yeah. out there. Your best grouse dogs, your best grouse and woodcock dogs, and many of them live in the Northeast, many of them live in the upper Midwest. You know, that's that, those are, you know, that's the home of grouse and woodcock, um, you know, traditional hunting. We have plenty in the South, but the tradition is they're, uh, they're kind of a, a bonus bird to quail that's that's what it's always been now there are people like myself that are focusing more on woodcock hunting and it's becoming more and more popular in the southeast but the the real home of grouse and woodcock hunting grouse dogs cover dog field trials that's up here uh in in the northeast and in the upper midwest they know the difference it's contextual and 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 they know when how to handle a woodcock and how to handle a grouse and and a good good dog is going to know the difference between the two and it takes experience with those different birds on hunts where we're not talking one or two a day or one or two a season they need to have a a, they need to have a dozen bird day and a dozen and like for three days in a row on a hunting trip or something where they start to figure out that grouse some are more talented than others you know, and we've, we've talked a bit about this and I mean, you've got a setter when I, when I think grouse dog, I think English setter. Um, and, and I would say if you're going to look at a more 
traditionally refined nose if you're comparing that kind of breed and and this is a gross generalization and i'm not the type of person to compare breeds and say one's better for one thing than the other but just when you think setter you think grouse dog and vice versa sure um and and uh you know but with that said it's you know it may take one dog three to five contacts it may take another dog 30 but that sure. doesn't that dog that took 30 it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a bad grouse dog when right. it's figured out and then the other thought I, that i want to point out to people pun unintended but it worked is no matter how good that dog is they're still going to bump birds yeah they're still going to especially a grouse woodcock don't bump as easily. They're very forgiving bird, but that dog could do everything right and still move that grouse when you don't want it to. So all the training in the world, all the experience in the world, and those birds are just weird. They don't like to feel pressure from human or dog. And if you like, you could be standing still and sneeze and 35 yards away, a grouse will flush you could step on a stick and snap it and a grouse will flush that dog just gets in one extra foot that grouse will flush. So it doesn't make them a good or bad dog. It just makes that bird super spooky. And I think, you know, folks that are serious grouse hunters and, and have serious grouse dogs, they talk about dogs that can pin birds. Mm -hmm. and, and I think what you're seeing in that, in those situations are dogs that really figure out how to make a dog or a bird feel insecure. And they get just close enough to make the dog, the bird freeze in, until that last second. There's kind of something that's going on in there. And so you have these proverbial zones of, of proximity that they can make to the bird. Um, and, and I don't think it's the same for even every individual grouse. I just think some, right. some are going to be more sensitive for whatever reason, maybe the type of cover, maybe the experiences they've had, maybe they've been pressured by other dogs and hunters. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're in an area with lots of hawks and they want to stay on the ground more. I don't, I don't know, but, um, but that some dogs do develop a real skill for making a bird quit running and making it not want to take flight and hanging on tight. Super good insight. One of the things you talked about, I believe while we were quickly eating dinner or no, sorry, we were hunting and you, I made a joke earlier about me being a reader and I was like, eh, you know, no, not really. But you had asked me about the migration or talking about the migration. We killed five woodcock, all females. Correct. And you had said, do you do much reading on woodcock stuff? And I'm like, no, you know, not, not really explain to me the process of a uh, woodcock migration and maybe a little bit of like where they go and where they end up because right now they're in new york they're not in north carolina really they're making their way there in another month or two yeah and i need to probably start with a disclaimer that i you know i don't consider myself a woodcock expert but i you know it's something i focus on and everything that i'm about to say is secondhand knowledge and and i you know i've i, I couldn't cite this but i think it, I, I wish i had before coming on here but wikipedia yeah well you know from my understanding that the females of, of breeding age tend to migrate first and so if you're in you know if you're in your covers at home and uh and you're seeing big plump birds and one of the ways you can tell you if you got a female or not is you pull out a dollar bill 
and you hold that against the, the width of the bill, not the length, um, up against the, the bill of the bird, you pull out a dollar bill and hold it against the bill of the bird. Um, and if the bill is longer than the width of the bill, the dollar bill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're looking at a female. All right. Yeah, yeah that got a little. That got, a little it got that got the dollar. If it gets, if the bill is longer than the dollar, <laughs> keep trying. <laughs> but okay, whatever, man. Just go Google it. Google it. <laughs> but either way, we shot all females, and you were saying because I, you would ask me like, have your woodcock pushed through? I'm like, ah, we don't know if they've like already overpassed us or early or late we just we have not had the woodcock numbers yet like we normally do in october and so with your insight of us killing five females it I think may on be edge. on the leading edge of our migration so the next two weeks might be pretty good and then two weeks after that it ends up going out so we we've got one more month actually not even like three weeks of woodcock season left so they better start coming. Yeah. And I'm sure you've got a decent breeding population up here. And it, I mean, you got a huntable population or pre pre big flight, but it's going to be, it's always much more fun when you get oh. into those big flights of birds. Sometimes it's too much. Those covers that we pushed today on a good flight, like where, where the migration is here. I feel like what we pushed today would have been like every five minutes, someone's going bird. Boom, miss. Boom, <laughs> maybe. Boom, let's go find it. Boom, got them. You know what I mean? Like th there have been hunts in our area where you're just every step you take and every point the dog has is woodcock. Yeah, for sure. And that and that happens at home. You know, when yeah. the flight gets there, it's it, it. And if you're hunting grouse, sometimes that's frustrating. You know, you you can't get to your grouse yeah, covers because exactly. you know you just can't get out of the woodcock. But it's fun. It's good for the dogs. I think. Um, get some, yeah. get some into cover, make, you know, it can make a, uh, an aggressive dog cautious. It can make a dog that's a little afraid to get out from, from under your feet, want to get out there and, and hunt. So I, I love woodcock. I think they're, even if, even if you're frustrated because you're trying to get to grouse, I think you're, you're still giving your dogs a good experience. Before we move on, can we do a quick rundown on your dogs and, and uh, other than red? Yeah. Who'd you bring? How old are they? What kind of dogs are they? How much experience do they have? All that fun stuff. Sure. I brought, um, I brought five dogs on the trip. I brought and this morning. I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to put my, uh, put my lad down on the, the hallowed grounds. <laughs> Lunda shit. Hey? <laughs> we did a little training this morning. So we weren't just screwing around all day. No, we had, we had, it was great. It was really good for her. Big, big, long blinds, um, that she's not accustomed to and were, you know, a challenge for her and, so I brought Althea, um, who is, is kind of the, the constant companion and, and the, the best help I have in terms of training at home uh, when Emily, Emily's not around. Um, I brought Pete, who is, who's kind of the, he's, he's the first chair at the kennel. Okay. You know, he, he sits in the, he, he's got the end run. He's VC. Yeah. He stands at at the gate and shows everybody how good looking he is vc versatile champion yeah so he's he's um you know he's a dog i use as a stud dog a lot so let's break it down though so althea yellow yep. british labrador yep yeah she likes tea and crumpets and quote the unquote, she's she's americanized 
<laughs> so tea and biscuits. Yeah. Tea, and, tea and a southern biscuit. She'll she'll eat a slice of pizza if I if I can't. Yeah, she, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, good thing. Yep. Um. Yeah. So yeah, but of 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 British descent, but not you know nothing nothing too up close. Kind of rested blood, uh, as some might describe it. But perfect dog for me. Cool. Very very mellow. Um, but can come in to drive and do her work when she needs to. And, yeah. and, and that's, you know, kind of dog I'm, I'm after for that, for that purpose and spends a lot of time flushing birds in front of my pointing dogs, which I find very valuable in terms of helping with steadiness and, um, and it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it is fun and it's just generally cool, but it also keeps you, if you're guiding, it keeps you out front of the, the guns. Mm-hmm. and things like that so so big help to me love that dog a lot she rides in the cab of the truck when when we're not parked and spending the night um but the rest of my dogs i brought three of my french britneys and a german short hair that belongs to my friend mm-hmm. um and uh so there's pete is a french britney uh he's orange and white he is out of my other house dog ella who is my first serious i had a french britney before her um but she's been a great bird dog for me and really kind of sealed the deal for why I ended up kind of playing with that breed as a hobby. Um, but great, great little bird dog. Pete's good. He's, he's very accomplished in field trials and, um, and in the, uh, the hunt test game of NAVDA. Um, but I, you know, he, he can be a good wild bird dog. He has not proven to be my best wild bird dog. Um, I have another dog on the truck named Crockett, another male that's black and white out of my friend, uh, Kevin Grant's breeding. Um, so he's Hokum Pokes Navy Crockett. So we kidded around that Hokum Poke is the kennel name, but I do a hope and poke when I shoot at a grouse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that may have, there may be. Yeah. The, the, I got the old hope and poke on him on that one there, but. <laughs> the origin of that word. I'm not sure, but, but yeah, so, so Crockett is a terrible field trial and hunt test dog. Um, but you know, when he, when he was on the ground today, some work got done. Yeah. He was fun to watch, yeah. man. They're yeah. very, f- so if I could describe them for people, they're small in stature, like 28 pounds was one of them you said to maybe 35 40 tops i don't have any 40 pounders i think yeah 40s stout even the boys if they make 35 i think that they're they're wet you know so um yeah they're small stature they're kind of squatty in terms of like muscular build um they don't look like an americanized britney yeah they're 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 compact they move through the woods like Crockett moved through the woods, kind of like I would imagine a field bred cocker or a Springer Spaniel, where he was like fast but close working. He was having the time of his life, wiggly and like <laughs> very good sound effect. I think so too. <laughs> like that's what I'm watching him work, and I'm like. <laughs> right like perfect and super fun to watch and then pete ran a little bit bigger and but not overly big like they're not lost we didn't lose a single one of them yeah and then reggie was the novice of the crew of bird dogs 
and she did stay a little bit closer, but I felt like her confidence being in our type of cover on the last hunt that we had, the, the woodcock in the wood or in the tree, yeah. she started to be like, I'm out here looking for stuff. Not quite sure what it is yet, but I'm trying. Yeah, she's, I mean, and she's, she's actually got a really nice ground application at home mm-hmm. on her farm on Penray's quail. Like she, she has that game kind of locked down. We got in the woods. She was a little confused and it, I, she, I wouldn't say she was bootlicking or, or no, 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 but, no, no, but no, no. Well, no, but, but she was not hunting confidently forward, which like is what Pete. I, yeah. Like Pete and Pete has a little more experience in that. Regard. Exactly. But I think in her last half hour versus her first half hour, Oh yeah, for sure. She, she gained it. And she especially just it. getting a bird. She didn't want in her mouth, put in her mouth, but then realizing this is fun. There's something out here, yeah. you know? And she so she was putting in the effort. She was staying in the thick. Yep. So we're looking, we, when she was hunting, we were in like an alder thicket, uh, along like a sort of swampy Creek bottomy. You're stepping on solid ground and then you go up to your, you know, muck boot in muck yeah um great woodcock habitat and so she started being like in the stuff yeah right instead of like hunting this way and that way then it's like i think i can find them here yep it was just it's just smart to see a dog start to click and it's a day a young dog needs you yeah. know and they have to go out they have to experience the bad with the good i had that long conversation with a friend on the way back from the hunt about it you know and he just came back from a trip out west and was talking you know, he started in one area and it was hot and dry. It was in Kansas and, uh, it, you know, in bad conditions, birds are getting up wild. If he got into birds, he was hitting low densities in areas. He was hoping to find high densities. The dogs were getting a little discouraged. He was getting discouraged. They got into cactuses, got into porcupines. We almost got into a porcupine. Yes, we did. And that was, um, we got lucky, yeah, we got lucky right. on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so he had that experience in the first week of his trip, changed geographic locations, got into higher densities of birds. And w- we were just talking it as if it was a storyline, you know, and it's like a Rocky movie. Like you start out and it's, uh, you know, you got all, everything's going good. We're moving up. We're going out West. Everybody's full of enthusiasm. And then, you know, something terrible happens. Apollo Creed knocks them out. Yeah. And then, and then we have them, but then we go back and we faced off longer and whatever his character's name was. Uh, Ivan Drago. Yeah. 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 So you, then you beat Drago and you get out, you know, and you go home victorious. Yeah. And so that's what young dogs need. That's developing a, a wild bird dog, you know, and you're going to have the ups and the downs and you're going to have those days where they they're figuring it out. You get one good contact and a light comes on. That's right. Cool. All right. Let's jump over to, uh, Marie. What's up, bud? What's up? What do you want to talk about? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Marie, you have been here a year and a half. Um, you have previous experience in first off, it's kind of like we wanted to do a whole podcast all on Marie. So I'm gonna give the long, like let's go rapid fire. You're an international world champion ultimate frisbee player hell yeah <laughs> america this it, is an honor all right i'm gonna st- i'm gonna steal this because you know marie way too well to interview her and then ask like answer the questions you're literally asking her <laughs> so th- i mean this is just wicked cool i didn't know that and i do know marie pretty well but so 
for those who don't who get, are yeah. Who, who are you? Can you give us a little bit of your background? I know you've done a ton with horses and you just have like a super cool, uh, I wish I lived that kind of a life life. <laughs> so if you could just give people a two minute rundown, like what was your, give it a five minute, five minute rundown. What was like, what did, what, what jobs have you had? Cause there's just a lot. <laughs> who am I? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so grew up, well, we're going to go from the beginning, born and raised in Taiwan. See, I didn't know that either. That's wicked cool. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, Raised in Connecticut and played soccer, ice hockey, lacrosse, was just an athlete from the beginning, went to school in California to get as far away from the Northeast than I could. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, I think it was 2010. I played on the Beach World's ultimate Frisbee team for Team USA. We won. That's fantastic. Versus Canada by one point. Of course. <laughs> a America's top hat. Yeah, hear that, Canada? <laughs> Take that one. Aren't they your best listeners? No, they went down in ranking, and New Zealand really creeped up in uh, the Apple podcast, whatever. So looking at you, Canada. Anyways, so so that's really cool. What uh, would you get into after that? I uh, moved to Colorado with a bunch of my high school friends, and... and uh, was pretty much a snowboard bum. So did a lot of backcountry snowboarding. Um, during you know, the winter. During the winter. I imagine. Yes. Bartended, you know, did the whole ski bum thing, which was fantastic. And then every summer I would go to a different ranch and go ranch. And I learned to train horses, um, learned a little bit about the cattle industry. And from there, I went to get my vet- time out. As a dog trainer and horse trainer, what are some things that the experience as a horse trainer helped you mold into your dog training world? I'm going to give the mic back to Kevin though. Um, a lot, uh, and a lot that people don't see in general. So a lot of it's very similar, to be honest, as, as scary as a horse can be. The fact that a dog is smaller doesn't mean that the training is different. Um, so it was kind of cool, kind of melding the world and meeting people who did one or the other, and then people who did both and kind of seeing how those worlds connected, plus seeing how the dog training world was different too. And how that could also be applied to the horse training world. Um, Can you give me an example? Like, is it like a drill or uh, something? Because I, I don't know. Yeah. So it's more principle, I guess, for me, at least. So a lot of like horses, like we don't really treat train a horse, right? You can, we've done it. It's happened. But we also don't shock collar train a horse or e-collar train a horse. Um a lot of it's just pressure and release of pressure. So that's kind of just like, if you think about it, how animals learn. So it's kind of that principle of the general principle of animals learn on a pressure release basis versus like, but it's also like a reward consequence base. You know, it's not necessarily like we need to treat train all the dogs we have but we also don't need to 
just have consequences for them. You know, that there is like a weird balance of like kind of learning how we don't give horses treats to do everything we teach them to do, but we also don't need to give dogs treats everything we do. So you kind of have to figure out each horse and like we always say on the podcast, like train the dog in front of you. Is it kind of the same thing with a horse? Yeah. Yep. All right. So jumping back in here, if I get a new horse, and we're talking about not, we're, we're not treat training. We're talking about pressure, right? So we're, everyone knows from the podcast, you got like physical pressure, verbal pressure, leash pressure, collar pressure, all that stuff, mental pressure, right? So they're thinking and mentally stressed and, and that can be pressure, even though you're not doing anything, it's perceived pressure. Um, what does that mean in, in terms of horse work, right? So are you, is that like reins? Is that feet kicking on their sides to get them to go faster? Like describe that more. Cause I have no clue, but it makes sense to me. So I guess going from like the bottom up, right. It's so, okay. For example, I'm interested in Mustangs, right. Untouched horses from the wild who don't know anything. So literally me looking at that horse is pressure, right. You know, They're and a it prey can animal. Be, and it can be for dogs too. Right. Like eye contact is, Definitely a form of pressure. Especially if Uncle Bob walks <laughs> into the barn. <laughs> Suddenly quiet. Yeah. So you kind of build that understanding of what different types of pressure. And I think that's where people get hung up on, on any kind of animal training is me looking at an animal can be pressure, right? Me moving towards an animal can be pressure and you gotta again like what kevin said was like reading that animal where they are in their understanding of socialization understanding of their light like you know wild horse for example i moved to that horse they're probably gonna snort kick their foot run away whatever they're gonna do but also like our puppies from the beginning we teach them pressure of I move into you you don't jump into me like if you jump on me I'm gonna either not respond to you or I'm gonna maybe just walk into you so you get knocked off onto the ground right and and they kind of learn that scale of pressure on pressure off right comfortable uncomfortable Mm -hmm. it's a fairly simple but it's also something where we have to understand that pressure doesn't mean one thing like it doesn't mean I'm you know, smacking a dog in the butt. Right. It, it doesn't mean I'm cranking a rein on a horse. It it's the like we, the way we teach horses to to or some people teach horses the turn is you have a round pen, and I literally I face my body towards one way where I want the horse to go. Mm-hmm. And if they go that way, that's fine. But if they don't, I'm going to keep closing that gap between me and the fence until that's the only option they have. Right. Physical, like your presence is pushing them. Exactly. Yeah. So it's as far as like horse and dog training, it, it's weirdly similar, but it's different because the animal is different. So here's my takeaway methodology is probably sort of a little bit different, like getting from A to Z running a blind is a little bit different, Mm -hmm. but the ability to read the animal and what is making that 
specific dog or horse tick. Like if you got a weary horse, you're not going to come in hot on it. You're going to give it space. If it shows you confidence, you're going to give in and, and back up. You're going to, instead of keep pressuring it and moving forward, like you're going to, it's going to be a give and take relationship, just like a dog. Hold on. We got a stink bug right on the, right on the podcast desk. You know what? Just we're coexisting. We're coexisting here. This is inclusive here. Um, so what a good experience though, to like go live and work on a ranch. What are some responsibilities you had at the ranch that, you know, like I'm jealous of. I mean, it, it's wearing a cowboy hat every day, clearly, obviously, and chaps, you know, you just took the words out of my head, just assuming that you had like spurs and you're just yes. walking around every I day. Spurs, I know. Everyone. Yep. Need some spurs. Uh, spurs, Grayson? No. Are you afraid of horses, Grayson? So we were talking I earlier. Definitely <laughs> am. I definitely am talking earlier about the qualifications to, to sport a cowboy hat and I I wore one once when I was 14 and I've never put one on since because I think I recognized in that moment that you shouldn't be allowed to wear one if you're afraid of horses. That's a great point. Was it like a Woody costume for Halloween? (laughs) (laughs) It was a, he's too old for that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, okay. Yeah. So back to, sorry, back to Marie. We're back. Uh, so like, what did your day to day look like? Like you just out there ranching, doing like cowpoke things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The cowpoke things. Uh, no, I was learning. So I was very fortunate in, in a few of my experiences out. I got to learn about some of the beef cattle industry and that's kind of where I got into hunting. It was, that's, you know, kind of how I got my first Hunting beef cattle. <laughs> yeah. Those beef cattle are real hard to hunt. Yeah. 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 <laughs> They run from pasture A to pasture B. Exactly. <laughs> Feel that freezer. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so sorry, I'm just gonna be a smart ass the whole time, but keep going. Um <laughs> I'm taking the mic back. Go on, Marie. Essentially, it was, I mean, it's the same as dog training. Like you you we run them in, in the morning, you feed them, you you groom them, you put a saddle on them, you go, you know, I did like trail rides and stuff too. Like it wasn't all it wasn't just. I wasn't a rancher and I by no means am a cowboy or cowgirl, but it was cool to learn some of the industry. And I was fortunate to be able to have neighbors of the ranches I worked at to go, you know, do cattle and cutting and stuff like that. Um, but that for me, the biggest thing was that I got to learn about animal training, horse training, and it's how I got into hunting because the ranch I worked on was my first elk hunt. It was where I got into grouse hunting up there. It was kind of my window to the world as cool dog hunting. So did they have any dogs on the ranch, like cattle dogs that would work the cattle? Talk about that. Cause that's pretty cool to me. So if my memory serves correct, and I'm sure my previous boss doesn't listen to podcasts, but, um, he was pretty cool. He, uh, was a world champion, rodeo uh bulldogger so all right definitely like explain that to everybody you jump Please. off the horse you wrestle a steer and you tie him up and damn it that's cool yeah so hang on that was your previous like person you worked for yeah way cooler than that <laughs> see that i've got the mic he can't even you know nope not giving it back not giving it back um 
Okay, that's really cool. So were you able to, did you ever like watch him do his thing? No, I didn't. Right. That's a life regret. I know. What about, um, I mean, so, so what are some of the other cool things that you got to learn while you were there? Oh, man. Um... <laughs> I want to know about the cattle dogs. Kevin, keep cattle dogs. Yes. Cattle dogs. So it's a dog podcast. His dog, Cassie, actually failed cattle dog school, but she would run with me every morning and she would literally, I would, so we had probably 20 acres of where the horses stayed at night. And so we'd run them in, in the morning, get them all cleaned up and saddled up for rides and stuff. But I would go to the gate, open the gate up and tell Cassie to go. And she would run circles around that field, get every horse in the back of wherever they were and fly him up and what kind of dog uh she was a um border collie okay cool yeah and uh and then a, another place i worked at had a little red cattle dog and he, he was he wasn't the nicest dog but he was really good at his job cool like, you tell him to go get that straight calf and he'd go bite his ankles until he got up and moved with the third grayson do you have any experience with cattle dogs or like so backtrack real quick and maybe in the show notes, we can drop what episodes Grayson has been on, but to give you a 30 second synopsis, Grayson has worked in police dog training, military dog training, pointing dog training, like this dude knows dog. So, um, any experience or like, does this, does this interest you? Like I freaking love watching herding dogs do their thing. What about you? I find it, I find it fascinating. Bananas, think, right? I like going we- like. I lost. Hey, oh, hey, nah. And they go right, left, over, down, bite an ankle, and you don't have to yell. I, yeah, I think we may. I can't remember if the last time I was on your podcast, I think it was close to when I just come back from Scotland. And I got to, um, I got to stay on an estate that had something like 2,000 head of sheep. And the shepherd was there and he, he had border collies. Did he wear high boots? He, he did indeed wear high boots because, that's what you do in Scotland. Everybody has, uh, they have muck boots, but they're made by companies that, that with, with more proper sounding names, probably gum leaf shout out to Ron. <laughs> but it's, uh, I mean, it, what I thought was, was so fascinating about it is he didn't, he, he, he didn't use an e-collar. Right. Um, and, and the remote, this is the remote control that he had of his dogs was as good as anything I've ever seen you know, in, in comparison to, uh, retriever work or whatever. I mean, it just, it was fascinating and the dogs were absolutely under control. And, um, you know, I think that it's like pointing dogs. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of instinct at play, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, with, you got to do that with control and he could put, I mean, he could take a field with 50 sheep and push them through a tiny gate, move them down the road and move them into a specific field with, you know, with one dog. It was, it was unreal. It was fascinating. And I, I, have uh, cruised the internet and seen some stock dog work in America. And I yeah. think some of that stuff's wild, man. It's yeah. really, really impressive. But no, personally, no. But I have a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, respect for those guys and Me would too. love to spend some time with a top one. Yeah, I think I've said it on the podcast. I want to take a sabbatical. I want like a year to six six-month minimum sabbatical. And I want to learn all the different stuff. Yeah sheepdog go to alaska with the mushing dogs i want to go 
do more bite dog work, you know, after watching the canine street league stuff, like figuring out how we can integrate what that, and I did, I'm going to generalize because I'm thinking of babe, the movie, the pig, babe, everyone. That's what I'm thinking of right now. That'll do pig. That'll do just trying to get your memory back. You never watched it. It's a, I think it's an age thing again. No, you're not that old. I mean, I'm kidding did, about your age. Did, you're like did, not that much older than me. No. When, when, when did babe come out? I have no idea. I probably was 10. So you were easily like 22. <laughs> like 16 yeah exactly so babe the pig well i'm not gonna give you the whole movie you're gonna have to watch it but anyways i don't, I don't think i do have to watch it. i just generalize it's like an old man 1995 15 i was 15 so i mean i should have in the wheelhouse i should have watched i was like nine yeah yeah so anyways old man and a dog and I know I'm generalized because there's women in the sport and young people in the sport, but I just think of old men and their dog. And like, they're not going fast. They're, they've lived through their impatient times of their life. So they've learned to be super patient. And they're just like doing their thing. And they get these dogs to do amazing things. And what an experience it would be for a retriever trainer to go and watch them cast a dog through a field and, and have that dog like you said respond almost robotically like that dog lays down that dog gets stands up you know a long whistle and it turns left uh and it's all with the mouth too like we use these big green monsters and these big monster whistles and this dog is 300 yards away in a sheep field and you hear like that i did it as quiet as i could into the mic like like that dog can barely hear it and boom it lays down it's, like it, the, we've got to create that control and discipline yet so much style and grace and pizzazz and enthusiasm there's no pressure involved but they know i think i i one thing i thought with that particular guy that shepherd that i thought was so fascinating is is um he did have one of those mouth whistles it was louder than i anticipated but in like in true like brit style like very subdued and he would like kind of grunt at the dog and it would respond immediately He'd be like right you know and the dog would just like, <laughs> all right i'll heal yeah yeah exactly it was it was it was cool and he, he didn't really ever change his inflection when he when he dealt with the yeah. dog it was couldn't we all learn something from that i think so big yeah, time no doubt cool all right marie so you went from ranging the great wide open of colorado to back to connecticut where you found my big dog steve reconnected with your high school bud got married which truthfully everyone i feel like you sacrificed you and steve have sacrificed a lot to to come here and work here um so i appreciate that on both of you for both of you so thank you because i know it's hard to be away and you know, it's a cool opportunity. We had a ton of fun over the last year and a half, but being away from him is not easy. And anyways, uh, so you rekindled the love of Steve, big Steve, and you bought a, a farm in New Hampshire. Do you want to hear about the farm in New Hampshire? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I almost said the F word, but I'm keeping it family friendly. Um, so yeah, so you're in New Hampshire. And this is where in on Wednesday at noon, 
you're going to depart Londa Chateau and, and head back to. So tell us what is being, what is there, what's being built there and what's the future hold. Yeah. So we've got about 200 acres in New Hampshire on the Vermont border, about midway up the state, um, on the Connecticut river. And I may or may not have swam with out clothes across the Connecticut river. Where? Wait, tell us this. In story. Connecticut. Well, this will still be family friendly, but a bunch of my college buddies are from Connecticut. Shout out uh, Newtown. Newtown, Connecticut. Yeah. Yep. Um, right next where I grew up. CJ and Nick and Scott Jordan. And Peach was there. Yeah, they're going to love this. They probably don't listen. Let's be serious. And they were all college swimmers. I was a high school swimmer and a college rugby player. And I'm like, I guarantee you I can swim across that river. They're like, no. I'm like, yeah, I guarantee you I can. And they're like, well, I guess we all should just in case someone, you know, doesn't make it. We can like grab them and stuff. And so you bet your sweet butt, everyone, that Uncle Bob swam across that big river. I made it there and back. Unsheathed and unharmed. <laughs> you can't stop this. Go on, Marie. Who you live near the Connecticut so River in New Hampshire. Yeah, that's yeah. I dirtied your waters. River dirty. <laughs> um, yeah, so 200 acres. Um, we are clearing land, we're building tech ponds, we are building a dog training, retriever training property. Um, got a bunch of wild birds. We've got grouse on the property, we've got ducks that come into our pond, and we're kind of just how many know? kennels did you build? Well, we're in the process of building the kennel, but it's going to be a 15 dog kennel. Um, pretty nice facility, radiant floor healing, heating. Uh, we're going to have some guest cabins built within the next year so people can come up and hang out and train. And sounds like a plan, huh? Grayson just yep. pump, fist pumped. He goes, Yep, I'm coming. Literally grouse out the door, guaranteed. <laughs> Connecticut River Valley has a reputation as a Mm -hmm. major flyway for certain types of birds oh yeah and we got a sweet new duck boat that uh old uncle bob sold us so they fixed it up because we didn't have it in great <laughs> shape like the other duck boat that's sitting in my yard for sale <laughs> if anyone wants it yeah really selling it but yeah no i'm i'm excited for you you've done you've been a massive asset here um you've become a part of our family you know literally she has dinner with us a bunch and and got to know my parents and nieces and nephews and Kevin and uh, Rachel and you know just uh, it's gonna be sucky not having you here so I'm proud of you you've you you've come super far I mean I remember Sprocket her dog Sprinkles Sprocket you know we, we can we go over the Sprinkles story real quick we, yeah I you tell I don't know if we all said anyone I don't know if they would listen to the podcast but anyways oh sparkles uh, they probably do but go on maybe generalize it very much i was at yeah maybe school. i don't know i feel like we should just let this one all ride. right but either we'll way the first ride. contest i met her at <laughs> i saved a dog out of the water it couldn't get out of the water and the owner couldn't get it back and so i just said this is taking 15 minutes to let's the show go on and i climbed in and grabbed the dog by the scruff and pulled it out of the water and uh, it worked out okay. Long story short, 
her dog's name is Sprocket. And I'm like, you know what we're going to name this son of a gun? Sprinkles. But, you know, you came in, you had a really good foundation with her. Very obedient. Um, extremely high drive. Uh, some of the quirks that you both had was like holding blind manners, right? Yeah. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just the, the team. The team had holding blind manners, um, learning how to run blinds, like your first dog you ever taught to run blinds. And, you know, coming from where you were, where she could barely walk to the line. And I, you remember she would, you know, you'd blow a whistle and she'd be like duck into a holding blind out in the field for like a gun station. And she'd be like, suck it. I'm in the holding blind now. Cause we did so many holding blind drills that the dog thought it's safe place was in a holding blind. So it duck into a holding blind and be like, you can't get me here. Cause I'm safe. And so all these little things, and then you've passed uh, several finish tests, a, a master test. Like you've come super far in a year and a half. And so is that dog. And more so to watch her do things that I never thought she could, like doing 400 yard blinds and marks that you run for your field trial dogs was, I think. And she hangs, right? Like she's no joke. Like there are days that she yeah. wins the day. We do a beer dog well, or a beer blind. usually second, but that's okay. You know, you always we pick, know Quinn is the best. You, you pick Quinn to go against, <laughs> you know, but you've come super far in your confidence. And, and her confidence and the other dogs that you've brought up through our program, you know, here for our clients, like you've done a great job. So thank you. And um, I'm excited to see what the future holds for you. And, you know, we'll, we'll rock and roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. At training this morning, I would have had just, just sitting back and observing, I would have never thought in a million years that you came here green in any shape or form. So not super green. She, she actually had experience for like a year at a different kennel. So not super green, not in retriever. That was green in retriever training, but as far as dog training, I had a little, sure. little bit of experience. Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, to, to come this far in that amount of time. And I, I think we've talked about on the podcast a ton with other people, like to, to have the ability to go somewhere and get your hands on a ton of dogs, a ton of different experiences, a ton of different personalities, and that daily grind of dog, some dogs we don't enjoy, some dogs we love, some dogs make it easy, some dogs challenge us and make us think outside of the box. And uh, you've had the whole gamut since you've been here. And hands down, like you can step to the line with any one of the freshies or the big dogs and can put them on, run them through a setup and bingo, bingo, bongo, rock it out. The only critique I have for you is when you are yelling at a dog, <laughs> I'll be out in the field throwing birds and she'll be screaming. And it just sounds like here, here. It's not something I can change. <laughs> you're like are you yelling at this son of a gun like get get him in there this is why we have a whistle oh my god it's <laughs> hilarious it's like i know she's trying so hard to yell here and it's like i can barely hear you so yeah figure that out but maybe a foghorn or a, a microphone or what are they called megaphone 
Yeah, bullhorn. bullhorn. We're going to get you a bullhorn for your going away <laughs> present. So anyways, um, all right, Grayson, as a veteran dog trainer and a business owner, what, what's some pieces of advice for Marie and other people who might listen that say they would love to do this as a living, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, I want to go out on my own. What do you suggest? I, I don't think you could, I don't think you could do it bet, any better than what Marie's done here. I mean, I think that's the move. I think you go hat in hand um, to somebody you admire and respect. And that's a long shot here, but, but thank you. <laughs> uh, and you, uh, and you just, you just go to work, man. You do, you do the work. It's, there's no, there's no substitute for experience and you're not, you're not, you know, I think it's important to, to read or, you know, watch videos and to do all those things to expose yourself to as much information as possible. Yes. Yeah, some may say patreon.com forward slash long duck outfitters. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. It, it, all of those. I'm a member of, of lots of Patreons and in, including yours. You oh, know? thank and, you. Yeah. You've and never been on a happy hour. I've got, it's, it's at supper time. It's at supper time and daddy's, daddy's gotta be at the supper table. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's, and I, I do, I'm going to make that happen though, at some point. I just got to remember it and, and move on. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, whether it's pay and it is, whether it's Patreons, whether it's videos, DVDs, books, expose yourself to everything you can possibly expose yourself to. And then you must get your hands on dogs. You mm -hmm. got to get in there. You, and you, and things as simple as pulling dogs from kennels, loading, shuttling dogs. I mean, it's, it, there's, the nuance in, in your handling skill, your ability to communicate with a dog non-verbally, it comes from those countless interactions um, with, it, it, with lots and lots of dogs. And, and so, it, you know, that kind of experience piles up on each other and don't put the cart before the horse. You know, it's um, something that I do with my clients and my program is it's, and, and I think it's really important to me and it, I don't think it needs to be for every trainer, but I don't get into like, I'm not giving you a bunch of commands. You know, if you're my client, I want to see you be able to exercise general control of your dog. And so um, we'll do lessons where we don't talk to the dog and everything's going to be nonverbal. And it's, it reminds me, I did one horse clinic with a lady named Anna 20. Um, and, uh, and it was, you know, it's just nonverbal communication. I, I think that's super important. And, and, so focus on those little things. And if you're going to get into it, if you're really serious and passionate about it, then hit your wagon to, to somebody that's doing it well. Yeah. Marie, what, uh, what about you? What would be a piece of advice you'd give to someone? Someone who's really serious about getting into any specific discipline in dog training specifically, but any sort of animal training is exactly what Grayson said. Like you gotta go do it with someone who you're comfortable with and is successful. Um, and not just in the small world and, and you know, the fairly big realm of whatever you're training. Um, there is no substitute for getting your hands on who knows how many animals, you know, yeah. like my previous job, I was very lucky to get my hands on a lot, a lot, like high, high volume. And then here I was very lucky to get my hands on 
high volume of a very specific type of training. And then you all, I would say to, to dive into that a little bit more, you had high volume at the old facility with short periods of time with those dogs. Mm -hmm. So it was high turnover rate and you could only get them to a certain place. Like here, what I thought you got to do is see a dog through. Mm -hmm. So if they have a problem, work through that problem and not feel constrained to two more weeks, Mm -hmm. three more weeks, you had time to trust a process and push a dog past its comfort zone and you pass your comfort zone and develop them from nuts, you know, literally knowing nothing to you put several dogs through T pattern and got like Ash, for example, you know, you, oh, you got a bug on there too. Is that a stink bug? Get it, bud. Get that stink bug. Here we go. You're all, yeah. Still alive, just like all the grouse in the woods. <laughs> but um, Ash, for an example, you took her, I think we had her six months. That was like, you're one of the first dogs here that you came in and worked. Um, and you got her running blind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it really is like, there's a huge difference between having a dog for you know, in my old job, four to six weeks, and then having a dog for being able to have a dog for three to four months. And then again, for another four to six months and like kind of taking the next step with them. And it's, there's a big difference between listening to podcasts and learning all the theoretical knowledge and then actually applying it and seeing every dog literally is different. You know, like we've had dogs take two months through T pattern and dogs who take <laughs> longer than that in T pattern. Um, but like being able to work through those differences and understanding when you can push a dog, when you can't push a dog, when you should push a dog. And I think that was a big learning experience for me is that I think I tend towards being a little bit softer on dogs and more towards like a, a I'll say learning curve, but it was nice to see, be able to balance that with you of like, you would come check in where the dog is and be like, we need to put this correction on them, or we need to teach them this more. Like, it was nice to be able to balance that off of someone and learn, Hey, maybe we need to try something else. This isn't working. Whatever that method was, let's try something else. Even if it's not the traditional method. And I think, can you think of an example potentially? Um, Uh, yeah, so, uh, I don't know exactly. I think there's been a few dogs through forest fetch. So forest fetch is obviously a big talking point with everyone. Right. Right. And for me learning to do forest fetch, it's again, I think I personally tend towards being a little bit softer and maybe I haven't done enough teaching. And then you would watch me one day and be like, okay, put the, the roller on the table and just put toe hitch until the dog picks it up. Right. And I'd say fetch and the dog would go for the bumper, put his mouth near the bumper. And I would maybe let up pressure or something. 
And you'd be like, no, continue pressure until the dog picks up the bumper and repeat fetch. Right. You know, and that was something I was missing was I would let up on the dog, which is rewarding the dog for not getting the bumper in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And then I would, you'd step in, put a little bit more pressure, repeat the command and the dog would pick up the bumper. And from that point, it would be no turning back. Mm-hmm. You know, a, I'm sorry. No, go it's just, it. it's a really common theme, not only with force fetch, but I think in so many parts of training and uh, the, where we see like it's, and it's, I think it's a good thing for the novice to, to really stay in one place and build and build and build and they don't seem to make the next level and then there's this time every once in a while where you have to make this leap forward um and 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 maybe it's a place the dog's hung up whether it be in force fetch or any other any other phase of training and then i think it i i've seen it personally with um with friends that maybe you're just afraid to challenge a finish test Mm -hmm. or something like that and there's a time when you it's time to step forward and and make that the next progression and then you know i mean almost without fail it happens it happens the first time and then all of a sudden the whole the next the next chapter reveals itself yeah you know oh i've definitely seen that with you mm-hmm. right yeah for sure that's a good example i wouldn't say i wouldn't say you're soft on dogs i wouldn't say you i think you're um, a, a strong attribute you have is you're very patient and, and firm but fair. Uh, but I think that God, what's I can't think of a good word, but like, and to me, it's almost like enough's enough, bud. Mm-hmm. Right? Like me and you are going to have words um, and me and you meaning the dog me and you are going to have words right now and when we're done me and you are back to being buds and and if i can pick that moment right because you got to be right you can't be impatient and a jerk but if you say hey i've followed the process a plus b equals c and go ahead go crack your tropicana thingy dingy is that strawberry guava that's a Tropical mango. That's heartburn in a can, bud. <laughs> your gluten intolerance is good, but your heartburn's killing you. Anyways, you got to look at it like there's times where you've got to put your foot down and say, I've built the process. I feel like I believe in you. And to me, it's that. All right. I just hit the nail on the damn head. I believe in you, dog, that I know if I do this to you this amount of pressure, this amount of uncomfortability, this amount of like stress, it's going to happen. If they're not ready for it, then I don't believe in them. And so I don't put them in that predicament. But if I believe in them, I think you're there. And I just need to push you past that edge. And they just jump off that edge into it. Now they're rolling. So that's a cool example. Good job. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Um. All right, let's think of a few other topics of things that you've. Well, Kevin wants to go home and go to bed, but I'm I'm on a roll and I feel very good about everyone here except for Kevin. Do you have a question for Murray? 
if you had some advice for possibly like the next person who might come in and backfill your spot, like what do you think that would be? And is it that Bob's just terrible? <laughs> I just choked on my bush light. Thanks, huh? <laughs> um, mildly I- unorganized. <laughs> mildly is used mildly (laughs) (laughs) no seriously if if anyone would be interested in doing in this industry and doing what we do 100 percent find some find find bob essentially but for me this was the perfect opportunity like i couldn't have asked for something better i kind of you know got it was exactly what I wanted. I have to say, like, it's a lot of sacrifice, especially where I was in my life, my personal life. But at the same time, it's put me leagues ahead of where I would have been if I tried to start my own thing. And I've built relationships and friendships and just the experiences I've had by working with the different pros and being able to go down South and the amount of dogs I've touched. And again, the feedback that I get from like working with someone, you know, if I was alone, some of these problems I run into, like probably be banging my head against the wall, but instead I had someone to level me out or say, Hey, try something new or do, you know, whatever that is. Um, but it's also got to be someone, and I know Grayson's had experiences like this too, is that it's got to be something you're, someone you're, you're comfortable with, you know, whether you're comfortable in every single situation is a different story, but you've got to be comfortable with the person. You've got to be comfortable with how they train, how they interact with people, how they interact with the dogs, how they, you know, run their life essentially. Cause it is it's a lifestyle and it's not just a job. It's you're here 12 hours a day and this is the life you live. So I guess the short answer is if you really want to do it, go all in. So segue going all in Wednesday at noon is your send off. You're headed home. You've got 15 stalls built. What's the name of your kennel? When are you kicking things off? What do you got over the next few months? So the next few months where I'm actually taking some time off, we're finishing the kennel. We've got the internal build. The, it's it's uh, closed in right now. So we've got water, electric, and walls to put up. And we're doing it all ourselves. So that's exciting. Um, all the lumber we've built it with is all milled from our property. So that's also really cool. Um, I got to do a huge shout out to big Steve, my husband, cause he's the best. And he literally built the entire kennel by himself with his own two hands. So, um, but the name of the kennel is going to be silver lion kennels. It's an attribute to my older brother who was KIA in the military and that his battalion name was silver lion or silver lions. Sorry. Um, so it's kind of built on his memory. Um, but also our love for our dogs and we hunt like crazy. I'm starting guiding and obviously training, pointing and retrieving dogs. Um, and yeah. That's awesome. Good job. You're a good podcast guest there, bud. Am I? I feel like I'm not, but it's okay. You, you did a good job. 
Fantastic. I, <laughs> yeah. She's a dang cowgirl. <laughs> yeah. Taiwan. Taiwan. Started in Taiwan. International Frisbee champion. Turned dog trainer. Turned hell of a dog trainer. What am I saying? Thank you. Yeah, Thank I you. think she did awesome. Got onto a dog's booty today in front of Grayson. That breaking son of a gun. No here. No here. No here. It was, <laughs> it was louder than that. Come on. Oh, uh, she just shouted, everyone. Hope your decibels are down. Yeah. Clean as a whistle on the last in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dog did good. She, she needed should, to learn. She yeah, she should sit down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first dog to like, oh dang, he's gonna think we're screwed. <laughs> She's been in my place. Yeah. She's seen how things operate at Lost Eye Weekends. Oh god. I saw Reggie have some fun. Reggie. Reggie was steady after she left. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh Grayson, anything you'd like to add, my friend? it's a wonderful experience i think this was uh i think it's an important podcast for people to listen to if you if they do have any ambition yeah it's um, honestly it wasn't where i want i wasn't thinking it'd go down this road but it's probably a good thing because people want to do what we do yeah and they, even if it's just with your own personal dog it's mm-hmm. you know if it's if, if you can get to a club get to a club if you can get to a pro get to a pro you know but it, i you know i think what marie said in in, in that this phrase means a lot to me, you know, but going all in, you know, if it's what you want, yeah, you got to do it. You, you can't, you can't dip your toe in it. You got to, yeah. Gotta you got to know when to hold them. Yeah. Know when to fold them. That's a fact. <laughs> I'm not, a, we just stop it right there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think she also said it's a lifestyle. This is not a job. We go to bed thinking about dogs, wake up thinking, thinking about, about dogs. dogs. <laughs> yep. I have dreams about dogs i'll wake up and be like carrie will carry prima nocta sleeping in bed you know and she, well i know it's not but it's sort of <laughs> something like that and she she'll be like you were dreaming last night and i'm like oh really because i don't really remember my dreams just barking no she's like no quiet knock it off <laughs> No, quiet, knock it off. That's what I say in my sleep, everyone. So you're all welcome that we do the podcast. You're all welcome that we do this crap and train dogs because when I'm sleeping, I'm thinking about yelling at your dog for <laughs> knocking it off, probably humping somebody or eating poop or doing something naughty. And I'm yelling, knock it off in my sleep. So yeah, this is a lifestyle. It's 24-7. It's seven days a week. Um, I think having great people around you, and again, I'm shouting you out and and Krista and even Eli and Jill, who are like our summer help. Like, I don't think we could have accomplished no. Not I don't think we could not have accomplished what we did this year as a business, as dog trainers giving people what they are paying for and taking care of the dogs that come here like we do if we didn't have the people here making it happen. I mean, Maria is like queen first of the month, like flea tech heartworm. She's on her A game. You know, uh, Krista is queen. Uh, <laughs> you're good. Um, 
whiteboard with notes and everybody's so organized and it helps make life easier and less scary and intimidating when I'm, a, I'm in over my head most days. Let's be honest. It just is what it is. Do you feel that way sometimes? All, all the time. I mean, it, I, and I've built a much more loose team, but you know, without, I've got Emily short hairs and shotguns i've got my buddy josh you know and, and it, it's a it's it's an informal um it's an informal team but uh, you know i you, you do need that support you need that support at home if you're doing this and stuff. up here too yeah. and i'm pointing to my brain like to have people that you can trust yeah to take a little bit of that off of you it's a lot of pressure in this business, man. You're, the people you, don't understand. Yeah, because you're you're you know the livelihood, the health and well being of these dogs is is your first priority, and and you know and there's it, it gets scary, you know. And if you're out here alone every day, you're always second guessing yourself. I go back to the kennels almost every day to make sure I latched all the locks to make sure everything's secure. Yeah, you know, and and uh, yeah, it's just you know it's it it's it's not. It's, it's a wonderful life, man. And it, it is a lifestyle is. and it I wouldn't trade it life. for anything, but it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's got all the stress and pressure of any other business you'd be in. Plus some, I think. I think plus some for sure. Like, you know, we talk about being like a farmer, right? Yeah. You know, you, farmers, they, if it's raining, maybe they got a day off, but you know what they're doing? They're fixing equipment. They're dinking around the farm, doing things that when it's nice out and they're making hay when the sun shines, they can't fix everything. So when it's, their quote unquote day off, they're doing work. Yeah. You know, we're very similar to that, but on the, you know, it's other people's it's other livestock, people's, right? It's like, other people's family members. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's not livestock. It's a terrible, yeah. terrible analogy. No, but I knew what you meant, but yeah. yeah, it's their family members. It's their pet. It's the buddy that sleeps in their bed and goes hunting with them. And yeah. you got to send them back better. Yeah. That's your, that's your job. That's our job. And, and, uh, you know, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a weight to carry. And, you know, I, I have a lot, I, I admire all of our peers that are out there doing it. And I, you know, I think that's, you know, I think it's something that's important is to recognize that we're all out there trying our best and, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not always easy. Yeah, no, for sure. And there's other sacrifices that we make in our personal lives and everything that, you know, nobody else sees, but our significant others and our you know, my brother sitting over here and our parents and stuff like they all recognize that we're tired. You know, I just shout out Quinn. Quinn had a litter of puppies. Um, man, I was up for two days straight. Yeah. Literally yeah. two days straight and drove to Cornell an hour and a half away doing above the speed limit to get her there for an emergency C-section on no sleep. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a there's there's a big financial investment which is important to, to recognize that you you know this is your livelihood this is how you put food on the table for your family and so when you're breeding you've got that to think about but then you've also got the health and well-being of your buddy yeah you know, you know what carrie asked me that question this morning so she was laying in bed and i went in to say goodbye to her and she said do you ever feel guilty you know what I'm going to say? I know exactly where you're going with this. I've had the same conversation with my wife. Do you ever feel guilty doing this to your dog? Yeah. Meaning Quinn, who's a healthy badass, 
never has a bad day, jumping around, ready to roll, and she's sore, she's tired, she's not acting herself. And I did that to her for a financial gain. Yeah. I mean, right? but- like that is what it is, everyone. I'm black and white. Like I make money selling puppies. I also am going to keep one of these. So it's going to be a future dog of, of our kennel. And they're going to produce amazing family members and pets and hunting buddies and competition buddies for people. Like it, it's not just financial gain, but it's a part of your business plan type of thing. And she asked me, do you feel guilty? And I was like, yep. Sure. And I never, truthfully, never had until Memphis had her litter. And she's older. And we did a C-section. And I saw the toll it took on her to have that litter. And then Quinn was doing good with this litter, like doing good, doing good. And then, boom, had to go to Cornell. And that drive to Cornell was not fun on my conscience because at the end of the day, and I, I'm talking very bluntly, maybe several bush lights in, but I don't care about the puppy. Sure. sure. I care about my dog. Quinn is number one on my priority list. I want all the puppies to survive. I want them all to be healthy. But at the end of the day, when you're driving to that vet saying, please, 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 please be okay. I'm saying, please, please, please be okay for Quinn. If the last puppy in there didn't make it, I'd feel terrible. I would have brought it home and did a, and buried it and made like a little, I have, I built like little cairns, you know, like I've got, I got a spot in my, it's happened. And yeah, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to get too deep into Mm -hmm. that. Those sad, sorry, sad, sorry, but I'm more concerned about Quinn in that moment. And yes, do I feel guilty? Yeah. Well, and if you didn't, you shouldn't be doing it. And it's, you know, I, obviously we have control. It's not just nature, but there's number one, they're fulfilling a biological drive. It's it. When you watch, when you watch a, 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 a bitch whelp and nurse and, and raise a litter, you recognize that there's more at play than just the, the mechanics of it. There's yeah. something very important going on for her. And it's, I think it's, a natural process that that's important, but it was more, scary. More importantly, if you didn't do it, and I and I I know who Quinn is to you. I know what she means in terms of performance and the dog she is on your truck. I know the dog you bred her to. If that litter wasn't made, if if people like you, and and I would hope to think that people like me weren't making those kinds of breedings then we wouldn't be progressing the breed, the sport, the culture, you know, so th- this doesn't exist without that. Yeah. And, um, and they, and those pups wouldn't be going to, to go on to whatever lives they're going to have yeah. and, and hopefully maybe be the yeah. next NFC. If we don't, if we don't believe in that, then, then we can't do it. Yeah. Know? That's a great point, man. Thank you for that. Sure. Yeah, no, thank you. But it does, you know, I look at her, I'll look down in that whelping pen and she's being a great mom. I mean, she's doing a good job I and see. those puppies are all healthy. Like I'm knocking on fake wood probably, but I'm thankful and I, I feel good now 
But in that moment of me driving to Cornell, I mean, I don't even think I said two words to you, Murray. It was like, can you please unhook my truck? I'm on the phone with Cornell and you pulled it up to the house and I'm gone. And uh, yeah, it's scary. This, this stuff is no joke. And we all speaking of, you know, Murray's new venture going out on her own and your venture going out on your own and, and you've done puppies and stuff like this is uh, this is what makes or breaks us. And we care about what we do. And I think that's what makes everything good and fun and crazy and hectic. And that's why I have no memory. And that's why I have no, I've got gray hair and you got gluten intolerance. And <laughs> Bringing it back home, baby. Bringing it back home. Gluten intolerance. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that's been the focus of this podcast. I hope everyone podcast. I mean, we could come up with a ton of different titles, but if it came out gluten intolerance, I'd love it. So, uh, all right, let's sign it off with Marie MG Madaris. Where can people find you on social media and your new kennel starting Wednesday at noon? Right now it's at MG Madaris, um, but we'll soon. How do you spell your last name there, friend? M-A-D-A-R-A-S. And then it'll soon be at Silver Lion Kennels on both. Are you going to mold them? So like your personal will become business or you're going to have one and the other? They'll be two separate, but they'll be linked to each other. And then Facebook will be. Hold on, slow down. So M-G as in Gary. (laughs) It's Marie Gary Madaris, everyone. It's embarrassing. (laughs) That would be my name, by the way. (laughs) Gary. Yes. Yes, we nailed it. All right. So. MG Madaris is Instagram. And then what'll be the business one? At Silver Lion Kennels. Perfect. Yep. My friend. Um, so I'm yeah, uh, Lost Highway Gun Dogs on Instagram. Same on uh on Facebook. They're linked. Um, we do have a podcast called the Companion Gun Dog Podcast. There's like six episodes with no plans for in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, Kevin. We've never been invited on. <laughs> hey, this maybe... is his third or fourth one. He, we've never been invited. We, the, we, the idea was to do something different, which was uh, like a like a soliloquy. Not not the. See, I told you he used big words. <laughs> that was a big word. Yeah, uh, uh, you know what the problem with that is is like no one knows what a soliloquy yeah. is. <laughs> and I, I can it, as much as I can talk. I've only got so much. To say. <laughs> so so maybe maybe in the future we got some plans. Um. Uh, I'm working on something. We're going to host a field trial at yeah. Blue Horizon Quail Preserve in North Carolina cool. um, on November 6th. And it's uh, it's for flushing dogs and for pointing dogs. And it follows um, St. Hubert's. The, the St. Hubert's field trial that's popular in, in the continent, continental Europe. Um, but it's really for hunters. It, it's not, it's not your super finished dogs. It's what we're looking for. People out there that have a really good, upland bird hunting dog uh with a good relationship with their dog steadiness is not a priority you know the the, all the bird manners that you would see at a a regular field trial aren't but what we want to see are hunters that are respectful of game respectful of uh of the culture with dogs that are obedient and responsive and uh and we're going to try and have a really good time with it and see where it goes because i think you know at least from the folks that approach me wanting to be involved with things um, this is aimed at those that, that don't really seem to have a home in the, you know, in the more finished 
polished hunt test and, and field trial world, at least on the upland side for me. So that's something I'm excited about. Um, but otherwise, you know, swing, swing by and check it out, but we're, you know, we're always open to making new friends, whatever you are doing out there. Remind me of the song that your kennel name is named after. Lost Highway was a song by Hank Williams Sr. And, and the story um, was that I was in a, a forward operating base in the Sangin Valley in 2014-15. And, uh, and I knew that that job was not going to last forever. And thankfully, because we got out of those conflicts, but that I was going to have to do something on the backside. And if you go take a listen to that song, it's, uh, you know, it, it somewhat parallels my life story. So that's, that's how I came up with the name. Gluten intolerance. <laughs> it wasn't like Eddie Vedder's version of the gluten intolerance. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming up to New York uh, here for a wedding and then swung on through. So bad to the bad to the bone that you got to come and and be here and and share the woods with us and brought, bring your dogs. And we got another day tomorrow. We got maybe potentially a Wednesday morning or something like that. I do actually. I don't know. We got to talk about. We'll that. talk about. I, it. I think I got clients coming Wednesday. <laughs> we probably got to work work. Yeah. But um definitely tomorrow we're hitting the woods again and i'm excited to see your dogs work again um marie thank you for joining us on the show tonight and for being a part of our team for the last year and a half it's flown by and uh, it's been a fun ride so kevin anything you want to say no i'd like to hear you sing more about <laughs> hank williams senior but don't feel like you have to yeah no everybody thank you for tuning in um mg madaris is silver lions on there yet it is there's not nothing new though all right i'm gonna start following it yeah. silver lion kennels on instagram lost highway gun dogs on instagram and facebook um everybody thank you this has been a really fun one just a bunch of friends hanging out talking dogs and dinking around so thanks for tuning in until the next episode we'll catch you on the flip side Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today.